Well, um, the transition into um, our new series, let me ask you a question. What is the Bible? Like, is it, is it a history book? Is it, is it a narrative? Is it, is it a theology guide? And, and, and how do we read this Bible? How do you read this Bible? Do you read it as law? Do you, do you read it as, um, as, as a love letter? Is it primarily a rule book that, that, that we just need to like do as many of the things it says in there as best we can, observing his commands? And, and fundamentally, is, is this book about primarily about God or is it, is it primarily about humanity? Is it about people? Well, it might not feel like a, a super important question to be asking amidst of all that's going on in our lives, amidst everything that's changing and shifting and maybe trying to normalize in our world. But the Bible makes this, uh, this audacious claim that it is the very word of God spoken to us. It says, Scripture says about itself that it is a light unto our feet, right? Light unto our path, which could be really helpful right now. I don't know about you guys, but in the midst of all the uncertainty, in the midst of all the things that are not clear, in the midst of the fog, the Bible says about itself that it is a lamp to our feet. It tells us that everything that is in it is profitable for, for rebuke, for training, for correction. The prophet Jeremiah said that it was his joy and the delight of his heart. King David said that, that it was like honey on his tongue. It was so sweet and that, that he could just stay up in the night and think about it and meditate on it and that it was deeply transformative. So, so somehow it really, really, really matters, even though sometimes it can feel like it doesn't seem to matter, especially when we're trying to deal with all of the elements of life. So it's sweet to David and it's joy and life to Jeremiah, but for many of us, it, it's not that, right? And for many Christians, or maybe some of you who've been seekers, right? You're, you're seeking after faith, trying to figure out what, what that looks like and what that means. And you find the Bible sometimes can be just, can be maybe burdensome or, or it's confusing. Or sometimes it's unreliable, right? You, you go to it for comfort and sometimes you get comfort. And sometimes you get like the sting, you go to it sometimes because you want guidance. And, and sometimes, sometimes it provides some guidance. But oftentimes, we don't know where to look. And oftentimes, we don't find answers directly there. Now, I think we can all acknowledge that, that we live in a culture that uses the Bible kind of like salt, right? It can be added to any dish in order to make your point. Both political parties use the Bible, right? Every, uh, every denomination, every, every culture or branch of Christianity and beyond uses the Bible to try and prove their theological position, and of course, in opposition to other theological positions. And, and if you think about any cult that's ever been started, it's usually started by one guy who's reading the Bible, and he discovers something that's really in there that no one else had even seen yet, and off we go. The Bible has been decoded to tell us when the end of the world will be, kind of like it was in, you know, maybe in 2012 or 2015 or 2000. And 
what we're saying here is that some, oftentimes people just use the Bible for, for what they want it to do. So I ask you again, what is the Bible? What, how do we read this book? Well, Jesus is awesome because on the very day, in case you were wondering, because on the very day that he rose, literally on the day of his resurrection, he, he had two separate meetings. Now, I know you, I would think, you know, you've risen from the dead. That's actually kind of a big deal. Like you could take the rest of the day off. But now Jesus, Jesus goes on the road to Emmaus and he starts having this conversation with two of his disciples and they don't recognize him. And it says that as he's talking to them, as he's walking with them, it says in Luke 24, that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so he starts with Moses and all the prophets that he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He changed their paradigm about the Bible. And later that day, he's going to be with the 11 apostles in the upper room. And he's going to look at them and he's saying, he says this, he says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds, it says, to understand the scripture. Do you see what he's doing? He's opening a paradigm about the Bible that is completely different. He's unveiling a secret, it would seem. Now, what's significant about these interactions with the resurrected Jesus is that um, according to Paul Jesus is only around for 40 days. And of those 40 days, we have just only a couple snapshots of what he talked about, what he, what he challenged his disciples into. We, we don't have much. We have basically three things. One is he tells Peter, Peter, I'm going to move you from the, the guy who was afraid to the one who's going to be leading the church. You're going to feed my sheep and my flock. The second thing he says to all his disciples is, I want you to know that you're going to be people that I send. You're sent people. And I'm going to send you as witnesses to everything you've seen me do and say. And you're going to tell that good news to everyone around you. And thirdly, let me help you understand how the scriptures really work, what they're really about, what's true in them. Those are the three things that we get from Jesus after he's been risen from the dead. So it's kind of a big deal, or so it appears. What's awesome is that in Acts chapter 2, this actually happens. All three of those things happen, right? The Spirit of the Lord comes, Paul stands up in the midst of the multitude, and so Paul, Peter stands up in the middle of the multitude, and as the leader, he declares, what does he do? He declares the good news of the Bible and people, the good news of Jesus, and the people are changed. And how does he do it? He goes to the Old Testament, he said, this is about Jesus, don't you see? All three of those things happen. And, of course, later in Acts, you see, you see Stephen doing this long diatribe about the entire history of Israel in front of the leaders of Israel. And he says, by the way, all this was, was pointing to Jesus. Philip, the other deacon, goes and takes the book of Isaiah that this Ethiopian eunuch was reading on the way, and he interprets it as pointing towards Jesus. What Jesus did on the road to Emmaus and in the upper room was to redefine the filter through which they read the Bible. He changed their paradigm. And he led them into something that up, then, up till then was somewhat of a secret, was somewhat hidden from them. 
that there is only one story and that that story is about him. The whole thing. Now in Colossians 2, Paul talks about this, right? After the resurrection, people start getting their hands around this. And Paul says in chapter 2 that, okay, the entire Levitical law, all the food and drink stuff, the festivals, even the Sabbath itself, was a shadow that pointed to Christ. The the Sabbath, you know, that, that thing that pretty much every devoted Jew would say, I follow the Sabbath, therefore I know I'm obedient to God. Even the Sabbath, the book of Hebrews says, he is our Sabbath rest. So the Sabbath is about Jesus. Hebrews also talks about Jesus being the tabernacle. He talks about Jesus is, as the law being about Christ. Paul says in Galatians that the law was ultimately meant to point us to Jesus. In John's gospel, John shows us that the Passover was a foreshadowing for Jesus. And and in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the rock that Moses struck with the the stick, that that was actually Jesus. He literally said, and the rock was Christ. Talks about Christ being the cloud and the fire that led the people in the desert. In other words, and I could go on here. What Jesus is showing them is that he was the single thread in all of Scripture, that the Bible was actually one story, and it was his story. Not a compilation of a bunch of stories, but his story. You see, his Psalms were his prayer book. He's the serpent that was lifted up in the desert to which if man look on, they'll be saved and rescued. Jesus is not simply a foreshadowing of the Old Testament. He is present there. Think about it. When when Moses is in front of the burning bush and and, and he says, who who do I say is sending me to Pharaoh? When Pharaoh asks me, the Lord says, tell him that I am is sending you. And Jesus in the gospel says, before Abraham was, I am. It's been about him. He's, He's been there all along. Jesus takes on the title of Son of Man from the book of Daniel and alludes repeatedly back to that particular book that is being about him. And I don't know if there's been a more transformative work for me in in my preaching um, and understanding of how to understand the Bible and read the Bible than the works of uh, Sinclair Ferguson who wrote a book called Preaching Christ in the Old Testament. I just want you to consider as you think about, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible stories in particular, just think about the different paradigm that we're talking about here. He says that Jesus is the true and better Adam who, who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. He's the true and better Abel. Though innocently slain, his blood now cries out, not like Abel for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. He's the true and better Abraham who who answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and familiar and to go out into the void, not knowing where, where he was going to create a people for God. He's the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered by his father on the mount, 
but who has truly sacrificed for us. And that when God said to Abraham, and listen to this, when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Now we can look at God who's taken up his son on top of a mountain and sacrificed him for us. And we can say, now we know, Lord, that you love us. Because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love. He's the true and better Jacob who wrestled with and took the blow of justice that we deserved. So that like Jacob, we only receive the wound of grace that wakes us up and disciplines us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, right? Who was at the right hand of the king and who forgives those who betrayed him and who sold him and uses his newfound power, his power, to save people. He's the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. He's the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who intercedes not just for but saves his foolish friends. And he's the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they had not lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. As we looked at in our last series, Jesus is the true and better Esther, right? He didn't just risk losing his earthly palace, like he lost the ultimate and heavenly palace not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life in order to save his people from death. And Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought home safe to harbor. Jesus is the real Passover, innocent, perfect, blameless, and slain nonetheless so that the angel of death would pass over us He's the true temple, he's the true prophet, he's the true priest, he's the true king, he's the true sacrifice, he's the true lamb, he's the true light, he's the true bread. That's who he is. The Bible is not about us, it's about him. The whole thing is about him. As our buddies at the Bible Project say, the Bible is one unified story that leads to Jesus. So, today we're launching a series, introing a series, really. And we're going to follow that one story for the coming weeks. We're going to see how Jesus is the fulfillment of and the purpose for the entire Bible. And in discovering that, we're going to see that the Bible changes us. How does the Bible change us, you might ask? How is that supposed to work? Well, listen to what Jesus says in, uh, in John chapter 5. He's talking to the scribes, right, who know the Bible better than anybody. And this is what he says to them. He says, listen, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It's a tragic indictment, but in it you can see something really powerful. 
what you see is that according to Jesus, the way that the Bible unleashes life within us is when we see it as pointing not to ourselves, but as pointing to him. That's how it unleashes its life. My good buddy Tim Keller, notice I have lots of friends. My good buddy Tim Keller makes this really pivotal point about how we think about the Bible, particularly this idea of it being about us versus being about him. And he says there's this, explaining this pivotal difference, particularly he uses the example of, um, of the story of David and Goliath. Now, I'm going to assume that if you've been, I don't know, alive, you know the story of David and Goliath. Even if you're not a Bible scholar, like you've heard about it in some book, right? But what's the story of David and Goliath about? What is the meaning of that narrative for us? Well, if it's a story that's, that's not pointing to Christ... The story may be, and oftentimes is either preached or is interpreted, if we're just reading it, that um, kind of the bigger they come, the harder they fall, right? That if, you're, if you would just go out into the battles of your life with enough faith in the Lord, then you would succeed. That you don't have to, to, be, to be real big and powerful, but with God on your side, you can overcome giants, right? That's, if it's not about Jesus, then that's the tale, right? That's the takeaway. It's what Veggie Tales tells us. And I'm not trying to like take on Veggie Tales. I know that's like sacred ground for some people. But in Veggie Tales, the story of David and Goliath is he's big, I'm little. Make sure I get this right. With his help, little guys can do big things too. Isn't that sweet? Oh. But is that the story of David and Goliath? Is that what's underneath the story? Is that what it's pointing to? That, that hey, we're little, but, but with, with God's help, like, listen, we can do big things too. No little cauliflower, David. No, no, no. It's about something else. As soon as we ask the question, how is David foreshadowing the work of his greater, great, great, great grandson, Jesus? begin to see that the same features of this story take on a fundamentally different meaning, a different light. The story is telling about a people of Israel, the Israelites who can't do it. They can't come through. They can't go up against Goliath. They just can't do it. They need a substitute. And here walks in David, who is, it says, a boy. I mean, he's, he's weak, he's meek, he's not much to him. It's more like a lamb being sent to the slaughter. If you really read the text, this vulnerable figure, almost as a sacrificial lamb, but God uses his apparent weakness as a means to destroy this giant. And David becomes Israel's champion redeemer. So that his victory becomes credited to all of Israel. His single victory becomes credited to all those who would not go up. They get the fruit of having fought the battle themselves, though David fought it for them. 
You see how fundamentally different this meaning is that arises out of a non-Christ-centered thinking and reading of the Bible? Loved ones, listen to me. This is pivotal. In the end, there's only two ways to read the Bible. It's basically about me or it's basically about him. In other words, it's basically about, about what I must do or it's basically about what he has done. It can't be both. If you read David and Goliath basically as giving me an example, if I read it as saying, okay, David's my example, well, then the story is really about me and I must muster up faith, right? I got to muster up some courage to step into all the, the fights of giants in my life. And that would be the application of a sermon. All right, everybody, gird up. Off you go to the giants in your life. But that's about me. But if I read the story of David and Goliath as basically showing me salvation through Jesus, then the story is really about him. And loved ones, the story is about him. Until I see that Jesus fought the real giants of, of sin, right, of, of the law, living it out and fulfilling it and death. And he did so for me that I'll never be able to have the kind of courage that enables me to fight the ordinary battles of suffering and discouragement and uncertainty and pain. Think about it. How can I ever fight the giant of failure, let's say, unless I know that, that God will never abandon me in Christ Jesus? That there's a victory that's already been won so I can fail. I can stumble, I can, I can learn, I can, I can smack my face up against the wall because someone else has already won, you see? And so it gives you courage, it gives you faith to move into something because, because it's already been done. Many of us, and this is pivotal as we step into a whole year looking at the Bible. This is a preliminary, this is like the prologue series before we step into a year of reading the Bible together. If we read the Bible as a, this is what I need to do manual, we will be crushed by it. And if you're not crushed by it, you're not really reading it. But if we read it as a book about someone who has done it for us, that you have been redeemed, been released, that there is a victor, that you don't have to have victory yourself because one has already had it on your behalf. Therefore, go on out. What is there to lose? There's nothing you can lose because the story was about him all along and it's still about him today. So this is going to be the focus of our, our next five weeks, to see the Bible as Jesus saw it. And in so doing, we're going to find life in it. If you don't know very much about the Bible, this is hopefully going to be really helpful in providing kind of a, an arc of what does the Bible look like and how does it move and work and how do I step into it and see. One of the metaphors I'm trying to, to give us as we think about this next few weeks is we're, going to, we're about to go like and do a long, like, daily, weekly, monthly walk through the entire scriptures over the course of our next ministry year starting in September. But, but, but we're going to do kind of a flyover. We're like, hey, we're heading over there. So let's get on a plane. We're going to fly over it. We're going to look at all the big pieces. And then we're going to fly home. And then we're going to get off the plane and then we're going to walk it on the ground together. So we're going to do a flyover. And, and you know, if you've ever like flown over the Grand Canyon, you're like, hey, the Grand Canyon. 
you've ever walked the Grand Canyon, different experience, right? That's what we're doing. We're going we're gonna to fly over so we can see the terrain of where we're walking. And how do we find ourselves? So when they're in the middle of Leviticus going like, what is going on? We're going to be like, wait a minute. We talked about this. This is what God's doing here in this area, in this plain or in this wilderness, literally. That's what we're going to do. And in the midst of it, we believe that God can change us. Because he says that that's what his word will do. It will point us to him. So loved ones, as we find ourselves coming to the table now, I hope you know this. And if you've been at RCC for any amount of time, you know that everything we do points to this table. You know why? Because that's the table that Jesus, that's the meal that Jesus inaugurated and said, I want you to know that everything's been pointing to me. He did it on, think about it, he did it on the night of the Passover. He's reaching all the way back to Exodus, way back at the beginning, and saying this thing that was begun back here, yeah, that thing was about me. And I'm taking it, I'm actually doing what? Creating a new covenant, he says, in my blood and in my body. I'm creating this new meal, and you're going to remember me in it. The very thing that he calls us to do over and over and over is to remember him. And so, loved ones, as we open our Bibles, and we will a bunch this coming year, as we open it and we walk through the pages, the steps with the people of God searching for the, the Messiah from God, we're going to find ourselves always coming back to the fact that he has come. We'll be able to look through a bunch of lenses that show us it is well. And so I just want you to know, like, you have a champion, which is why you get to come to this table it's not a table of condemnation. These, these elements aren't supposed to make you think and believe that there's something wrong with you. They're supposed to show you that you need someone to rescue you. It's the good news. We need to be rescued. And you've been rescued. It's the great story of the Bible. This long journey of redemption that God has brought about in Christ Jesus. And that we're the people, the people of God that have been rescued by him in this way. So that's the process. That's the journey we're going to walk on. So as you open your Bible this week even, as we begin with the five books of the, of, the, of the Bible this next week, I want you to know that as you open it up, I want you to be asking, like, Lord, show me yourself. Let me see Jesus here. And if one of the, if your takeaway is, doggone it, I better try harder, then read it again and look for Jesus and hear his voice that says, come, come to me. Judas, come and receive, dip your morsel in the cup. Because I receive those who are longing for redemption through my work. That's the good news of Christianity. It's not your work, it's his. And we get to celebrate that as we look at the gift of God in his scriptures that points us to Jesus all the way through. Let's pray.